<clears throat> well, good afternoon, men, and welcome to what I consider one of the best things going on in the world today. Anytime you get a group of God's men together with a heart for God, with a desire for God, with a passion for God, to be flat honest with you, that's the kind of place I'd like to be. And uh, I am just delighted. It amazes me that uh, we are here on a weekday. A weekday means a work day. There are men here who probably had to take off work to be here. Uh, to most people in our culture, Friday night is a night to either eat out or go to the ball game. And you're not planning to do either, at least I hope, as far as I know. And, and I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. These guys are here because they wanted to be here. And that just excites me. That, that thrills me. I, I love to be around people who have a growing passion for God. I just finished Wednesday night preaching to a little storefront church uh, in New York City, in the Queens section of New York City. And uh, I think one night I preached to seven people. Uh, another night I, I preached to about ten from that church, and I think we had four people from a Romanian Baptist church nearby. And, and you say, well, that wasn't a very successful meeting. Oh, yes, it was. And I'll tell you why, because when we came into those services, even with those little handfuls of people, honest, it was like something I've rarely experienced. I mean, these people came to meet with God. And uh, you'd get up to preach and out come the Bibles and the notebooks and you just couldn't give them enough. And uh, even Wednesday night when the last service had concluded, several people came up and said, why didn't this get scheduled longer? Why couldn't we go on some more nights? And I'm thinking, wow, isn't that a blessing? Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. And I trust that God is going to meet with us and do something unprecedented in our hearts and minds. You know, men, through the years, I've spent a lot of time studying the history of revival. And I enjoy studying the history of revival. I think there's much we can learn from it. But can I tell you, sometimes I get a little tired of it. And I only say that to say this. I'm tired of reading the history of revival. I'd like to help write it. I'd like to be a part of the next great awakening. And I believe that a group of men like you who have gathered for an event such as this are the kind of men who likewise desire the same thing. Well, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and will you open them with me, please, to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. Where in the world do you begin at an event like this? Well, I want to share a message with you this afternoon that I believe, at least in my own experience, contains a truth that is vital for any man who will walk with God, any man who will be a man of prayer. You know, we live in a generation, honestly, where some folks, at least, get nervous if you use the word worship in any form. And I suppose it's because, yes, there are those in our day who have taken worship to an unbiblical extreme. And in so doing, they've taken it out of a biblical balance. Amen. 
But brethren, worship is just as biblical as John 3.16. And I believe that one of the things that will revitalize your prayer life and your walk with God is learning the significance of true worship. We're in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I just want to read the first four verses of this chapter. Most of the time when you've heard this chapter preached from, it was verse 14 or something around verse 14. We're not going to even get there today. I want us to focus on these four verses. The Bible says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. I would summarize verse 1 in these three ways. Solomon's prayer went up, the fire of God came down, and the glory of the Lord came in. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Can you imagine the, that type of an experience? Verse 2, And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Verse 4, Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. If you have a pen in hand, I want you to circle four words. Because these are the four words that I want to focus our attention on in this message today. In verse 3, notice the word bowed. Circle it. Notice the word worshipped. Circle it. Notice the word praised. Circle it. And in verse number 4, notice the word offered. Circle it as well. In the material that you were given today, you received a brochure entitled Prayer Encounter. There were several other sheets inside it. If you want to find it, there is a sheet in there entitled Worship Worksheet. Maybe you'd like to get in that in hand. We'll refer to that a little bit later on. Let's pray. Father... I thank you so much for this group of men who have gathered today. Thank you for a pastor who has a burden to bring God's men together to pray. Lord, we're not coming to you to this afternoon to dictate terms. We're not handing you a to-do list. We're not going to tell you what we expect or even what we anticipate. Because this isn't about us. God, we come to you today saying, may the will of the Lord be done in our midst and may we cooperate all the way. God, please speak to us from your word. Guide us as we pray. Guide us as we worship. Guide us as we fellowship. And right now, guide us as we learn, I ask. Thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A number of years ago, I 
attended a prayer meeting that, to be honest with you, was kind of one of those high points in my experience of prayer. The circumstances were this. My youngest brother, Brad, at that time, 39 years of age, was in the fight of his life with a very serious cancer. And Brad was getting ready to leave for some very extended, some very specialized treatment. Just so happened that my wife and I were in Arkansas. We'd been there a number of weeks. We were helping care for the children and, and so on. And yet the family was going to be leaving to go to another part of the country for Brad to get treatment. And so one of his best friends in his home church called him and said, on this particular evening at 7 o'clock, there are a group of us coming over to pray with you. I was just there as the big brother, really. I wasn't involved in, in the plans. Well, interestingly enough, this particular evening, there were probably at least 10 couples, close friends of my brother and his wife, who arrived. And it was very interesting to me <clears throat> that once we had all gathered in a kind of a large family room, one of the men who was kind of a, a planner and organizer of this little gathering said, we're just going to start to sing. If I remember correctly, there were a couple of fellows that had brought guitars. That's the only instruments we had available. And they just started to call out songs and we would just sing and sing and sing. And right in the middle of it, one of the fellows stopped and said, now we're going to take some time tonight to share our salvation testimonies. And I got to be honest with you, my first reaction was, what? What? <laughs> I thought we came to pray for my brother. He's, he's leaving tomorrow and going to get... He said, let's just pair up by twos. And he said, each person, share your salvation testimony. Then we came back together and he said, now let's just thank the Lord for some things about our salvation. And so there was another time of sharing. And then we went back to singing. Do you know what was interesting? After the first hour of that meeting, there still had been no praying. Forgive me. But kind of in a secret way, I was questioning. I thought we were going to pray. Finally, well after an hour was passed, one of the guys said, All right, now it's time to pray. Wow, was I about to learn something. He said, Brad and Sarah, we know that you leave in the next day or two and we know the significance of where you're going and the treatment and the, the fight that Brad is in really for his life at times. We're here to pray for you. And he said, I want you to come in and just sit on the floor here in the middle of the family room and so they came in and, and sat down, just sat down on the floor. And then he said, all right, everybody, let's gather around and let's pray. Brethren, 
I don't know that I'd ever experienced anything quite like it. There was a sense of God in that room that was incredible. And do you know how it had developed? It had developed through that first hour of doing nothing but worshiping God. Oh, I've learned some things. I'm still learning some things. Wednesday afternoon, I was in a Bible study with the pastor where I was in New York City, and we went down to Wall Street, actually met up with a man down there where he works to have a Bible study. This man is, is, as far as we know, not even saved, and he had said to the pastor last week when they met, how do you pray? So the pastor had said, you go along and you, you share today. You know what we studied on Wednesday afternoon? We're sitting there in this great big lobby of this German bank right across the street from the front of the stock market. We studied three short three-word prayers in the gospel. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, remember me. And from them, we drew out the reasons why those prayers were so significant and so successful. Do you know what the first reason was? Each of the three people knew who they were praying to. Granted, one was drowning. That was Peter. Granted, Another one was desperate. Her daughter was demon-possessed. Granted, the third was dying. He's nailed to a cross next to Jesus. And yet each one of them began with the word Lord. Again, the truth was so clear. Praying effectively begins with the recognition of who you're praying to. By the way, that takes all the casualness and carelessness out of praying. Because you realize, I am having a conversation with the God of this universe. Amen. Do you know what we have here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7? Basically... The project of building the temple is finished. The temple has been equipped and prepared. Chapter 6, Solomon has prayed this incredible prayer of dedication. By the way, without the glory of God in it, the structure that Solomon had built was no different than a little barn or a shed to keep cattle in out in the back country. It wasn't the building. It was the presence of God that mattered. So the glory comes. And we come to verses 3 and 4 and we see the response of God's people at this moment. Let's take a look at these 
four things. Because I believe that from them we can learn about four wonderful truths about worship. Number one, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. Brethren, this word bowed speaks to us of number one, the attitude of worship. My wife was a number of years ago asked to speak at a ladies' event. She had two sessions. They told her she was to speak on worship. It's not always easy when you get assigned a specific topic, but nonetheless, she knew about it months in advance, and so together we dove in. And though she was the one who was going to do the speaking, my assistance to her in preparation actually got me studying the subject. And so for a couple of months, both of us studied the subject of worship. Do you know how I did it? I went to the book of Revelation. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's chapters 4, 5, and 11 that record for us three incredible worship scenes in heaven. You know what my conclusion was? It's got to be perfect because it's happening in heaven. So I thought to myself, I can study this and draw out all the truths I can possibly get and worship will be okay. You know, isn't it amazing that people hear a term like worship leader or worship service or worship music and there are folks who get Oh, be careful, brother. Don't, don't, don't get too close to the edge. You might fall off the cliff. And then you go to Revelation and you study those three worship scenes in heaven. Do you know what really got my attention? Genuine worship never draws attention to an individual. Amen. Never. And any time attention is given to the individual, it's not biblical. Isn't it interesting that when the glory of God filled that temple, guys, the people did not climb up on their chairs and start cheering. They didn't start hooting and hollering and yelling and screaming like their team had just scored a touchdown. Nobody started doing cartwheels across the front of the meeting room like a gymnast. Nobody started running laps like a sprinter. No. Do you know what that encounter with the glory of God did? It brought the people down. Amen. Guys, anytime we allow something to occur with an intention to bring ourselves up, we've missed it. The attitude of worship brought them down. It caused them to bow it caused them to literally bring their faces 
to the ground. Do you realize that at this moment, if we were to have a similar encounter with the glory of God in this room where we are meeting, if every man in this room responded in the same way, Do you realize it would be impossible to identify any man here today because his face would be to the ground? Maybe that's where we sometimes miss it, isn't it? See, we have a tendency to allow even our so-called worship to become focused on a man, or a ministry, or a musician, or whatever the case may be. But genuine worship always puts us down and keeps us down. You can't even see who's who when their faces are on the floor. Maybe that's the way it ought to be. Which leads us then to the second word in this verse. They bowed... Number two, they worshipped. The word worshipped speaks to us about the attraction of worship. God became the main attraction. When all the people are bowed with their faces on the pavement, no more do we see any man. God became the main attraction. Years ago, I suppose, I I heard this story, and it, it goes back some years, but it said that on a particular Sunday morning, one of the pastors of one of the churches in Washington, D.C. received a phone call early on a Sunday morning. A visitor to the city asked the question, can you tell me, will the President of the United States be in attendance this morning? No doubt this pastor had been asked that question before, so he very wisely responded, I can't tell you if the president will be here, but God will. That's a good enough reason to come. See, brethren, do you know what is happening? Unfortunately, churches in our day are struggling because what it takes to get people through the door is what it takes to keep them inside the door. And can I say to you, and I don't say it arrogantly, I don't say it obnoxiously, I say it with a very troubled heart. It's difficult to get people to come to a church where God is the main attraction. And so that's why all these other means and methods and have to be used. But in worship, because it's no longer about us, it's all about Him. That's what was happening here. But then I want you to see this. Let's look then at that word praised. Because the word praised speaks of the atmosphere of worship. It speaks speaks of the fact 
that divine climate control took over. How did it happen? Through praise. Man, I believe we must make praise a priority. I've done this. I've done it many times. You know, we're, we're in a church for a week of so-called revival meetings. Unfortunately, some of them are now becoming more like survival meetings. But nonetheless, typically everybody does all right on Sunday. But then you come together Monday night. And I'm just going to tell you, as a guy who has walked into the pulpit as a guest preacher on a lot of Monday nights over the last 30 years, let me tell you something. It's, it's frightful. You walk up to the podium and you open your Bible and you lay out your notes and your heart's ready and your heart's prepared and, and, you, and you lift your eyes like, whoa! It's like looking at a herd of cattle staring at a new gate. Now granted, we still have Mondays every week. Some of us have been hoping for years they'd make them just every other week. Fridays twice a week, you know what I'm saying. But here we are. You know what I've done? Had to, had to do something. I've said, all right, folks, don't even open your Bible yet. We're not ready for that. I've said, I want ten people to raise your hand and tell us a way that God was good to you today. It's not that he wasn't good 10, 20, 30, no, 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 no. Today, since you got out of bed this morning, give us a way God was good for you. Can I tell you, there are times I have stood there like a fence post. And it may take 20, 30, 40, sometimes almost a minute. And I'm thinking, man, this group really is in bad shape. And then some poor soul out there manages to get a hand up. Yes, brother. Well, God, then they fill in the blank. I say, well, thank you, brother, for that good word. All right, who's next? Typically doesn't take as long, but it sometimes takes a while, and finally another, and then another. And I'm not kidding you. There are times I've said, well, five down, five to go. Who's next? But can I tell you something? And I'm just speaking from experience. I don't have statistical data to lay on you this afternoon. I'm just you from experience. I can tell you that rarely... Rarely have we ever stopped at 10. I'm serious. Do you know what happens? All of a sudden, people change gears mentally. I'm not kidding you. I've counted to 25 and people are still going, God was good, God was good, God was good. And do you know what we discovered? That simple little spiritual exercise totally changed 
the atmosphere of that service. You say, why is that? I'll tell you why. Most of us, most of the time, are very self-centered. It's all about me. Do you know what praise does? It reminds us that it's all about Him. So we start bragging on God. We start boasting on God. And the attention shifts from me, myself, and my to Him. That's why praise is such a wonderful thing. Think about it, brethren. Even in our typical prayer meeting, we may hear one or two occasional answers to prayer. And then we listen to 15 minutes of requests and somebody closes the meeting with a word of prayer and just says, Lord, you know all these even though I can't remember them. And you know what, guys? Could it be that even in our prayer meetings, we haven't spent enough time thanking God for who He is and thanking God for what He's done? When you do that, do you realize it brings God right into the middle of it? I, I love to begin my time with God with some form of worship. When I finished kind of my studies there years ago, helping my wife get her material ready and so on, I realized that I have a great responsibility to be a true worshiper of God. And even when I'm going to pray, I want to worship God. I'm a walker. That's not my last name. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> Early in the morning, I, I typically, if I can, didn't get to this morning because of the travel, but I love to walk. And, and I always tell people my walking is the time when I think, meditate, worship, and pray. And you know, I sometimes have found myself just simply walking along with my hands raised, singing. Or occasionally it's a song that I have playing on my phone in my pocket that does the same thing. Other times it's just a brag on God session. God, I'm thankful for this and this and this about you. Sometimes it's just, God, you've been good, here's how. Or maybe it's my salvation and I review what happened that day and and it's just, guys, whatever it is, praise brings God right into the midst of it. And it'll change your prayer time because it'll change you. That was the atmosphere of worship. Notice they praised God for his goodness and for his mercy. Remember how David put it? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Guys, whether it's goodness and mercy, 
or love or forgiveness or faithfulness. Fill in the blanks. But never quit bragging on God. Well, let me give you the, the last part of this. Verse number four, we circled the word offered. Do you know what I find is interesting? To this point, worship has involved their bodies when they bowed. Worship has involved their minds as they thought about God. Worship has involved their mouths as they offered praise to God. But now worship affects or impacts their hands. You know what we're going to see finally? We're going to see the action of worship. What does verse 4 say? They offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2,000 oxen. And 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Brethren, do you know what dedication is? It's holding nothing back and it's giving everything. See, for the longest time, I thought of worship as just something that happened in a worship service. Do you know what I discovered? As I studied those Revelation passages, over and again, I found this word worthy. Worthy is the Lamb to receive. And I began to meditate and I began to think about that phrase. And do you know what dawned on me? Worship is giving what is due to the one who deserves it. That's what worship is. So whether it's a song or a testimony, that's part. But it's the realization that as an act of worship, everything I have and everything I am, I give it to Him. It's His. Dedication was demonstrated not simply by walking the aisle during an invitation hymn like I surrender all and bowing and praying a little. That may be part. But dedication went so much further. Keeping nothing, giving everything to the one who deserves it. Man, do you begin to understand why this event was so significant? Oh, we know some things about Solomon as a king. He was the wisest and the wealthiest. We know something about the temple that he had built. It was in spectacular building. We know something about the people who were gathered that day. They were God's chosen people. 
But brethren, understand that the significance of this day was not based upon any of those. The significance was that God was there. And I would submit to you today that when you and I likewise take steps to bring God right into the midst of what we're doing, right into the midst of the way we're living, right into the midst of where we're praying, when we do that, everything changes. I've given you a copy of this little half sheet called the Worship Worksheet. If you have that handy, maybe you'd like to get that out because I want to wrap up this session kind of with a practical application of what we're talking about. If you didn't get one, make sure you get yours at the, at the next break. There's a little bundle of goods there that I put together for you, but that's all right. Take your Bible. Go with me, if you will, please to the book of Psalms, chapter 86. Will you do that? I'm done preaching. Now we're just going to apply it. Psalm chapter 86 and, and verse number 10. Read this verse together with me, men. All right, let's just read it together. It says this, For thou art great and doest wondrous things, Thou art God alone. Guys, there are three elements of worship in that verse. There is adoration. Thou art God alone. Adoration focuses on the person of God, who God is. There is also praise. Thou art great. A specific attribute of God is highlighted. Praise focuses on the attributes of God, what God is like. But notice there's also thanksgiving. Thanksgiving focuses on the works of God or what God has done. Now, how can you worship God using the guide of Psalm chapter 86 and verse 10? I'm just going to give you a practical way to do it. Here goes. Adoration. Choose a song that emphasizes who God is. Now, I'll just give you an example. Do you know this one? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. Verse 2, praise to the Lord, who are all things so wondrously reigneth, sheltereth thee under His wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Guys, you talk about a hymn that talks about God talks about who God is, the Almighty. All right? Maybe you'd like to think or look 
And either a song you remember or either a song you find. By the way, I like having a hymn book handy during your time with God. Great spiritual exercise. You say, well, I'm not a musician. Don't need to be. Well, I don't sing well. Don't have to. But whatever you can do, if it's music, whether it's reading the words or singing it the best you can, doesn't matter. But it becomes a wonderful part of adoring God. I like to think of hymns as theology put to music. You have a hymn book, you can get a hymn book and allow these songs to become a significant part of your worship. Then we come to praise. Here's a great way. Psalm 86, where we are right now, is a psalm filled with God. By the way, so is Psalm 145. These are just a couple of examples. But you know what would be a great thing? Take Psalm 86 and just go through it and find one attribute of God that you are really thankful for. Now, maybe as you go through that psalm, you'll find one that talks about God's forgiveness or God's guidance, God's mercy. That's up to you. But once you have found it, then you simply say, God, I thank you that just like verse 15 says, Thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion. Maybe that's the attribute you pick. But use this scriptural listing to help you praise. Then, thanksgiving. And I would challenge you to just make a list of five ways God's been good to you. So you get this done. And then you begin by singing your song. Then you follow up by reading your verse and directing it to God from a heart of praise. Then you read your testimony that is summed up in God's goodness. Do you know what you've done? You've just taken the very basic elements of worship and you've just had your own worship service. You haven't even yet made a request. You haven't even yet asked God for anything, to do anything. But what you have done is You've gotten your attention off everyone and everything else and you've focused on him and you've basically, as the pastor suggested at the beginning today, you've opened your heart and opened your life to give God unlimited access right into your life. How? Through worship. Man, you don't have to be intimidated by the subject of worship. It's one of the most beautiful, one of the most blessed things you will ever experience in your life. Because worship has that incredible ability to make God everything.
And oh, how desperately we need it. I hope you'll try it. I hope you'll apply it. I believe later this afternoon we're going to have a time of prayer. Maybe that'll fit in in some way. Maybe you're a alone time with God tomorrow morning before you even come here. That's fine. But let's make sure that worship is all about God. It'll be a blessing. Father, thank you for this introductory message. I suppose somewhat of a teaching message, but a very practical, usable message. And oh God, I pray that as men of God, we would become true worshipers. All about God kind of guys. God, do that, I pray, and we'll thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.